Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. Before we get started today, I want to say just a few words about former Congressman Paul Mitchell, uh, who died yesterday of cancer. Uh, Congressman Mitchell was a really great example of somebody who gets into politics because he wants to serve and really not for any other reason. Uh, This was somebody I had a hard time seeing eye to eye with on any number of issues. But every time I spoke with him and as I got to know him, uh, I really came to respect uh, former Congressman Mitchell as a quintessential public servant, uh, somebody who really cared about his community and his state and wanted to do the best uh, for everyone. Uh, It's sad uh, that he is gone and sad, of course, for the people who lived in his uh, former district and were represented by him and uh, for his family. So condolences from our family here at uh, WDET to the Mitchell family. Up first today, as the Delta variant of COVID-19 continues to ravage southern states, including Florida, Louisiana, and Texas, officials here in the city of Detroit are trying to prepare city residents who are especially vulnerable to contracting the aggressive strain of the coronavirus, which is why, as of today, residents of the city of Detroit who've been fully vaccinated for at least six months and have compromised immune systems can call to schedule a third dose of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine to maintain the highest level of immunity from COVID-19. Mayor Mike Duggan announced this news yesterday, and he joins us now to talk about how he's working to keep the virus under control here in Detroit, along with a number of other key issues that are uh, swirling around. Mayor Mike Duggan, welcome back to Detroit Today. Uh, Morning, Stephen. Thank you for having me. Yes. So let's start with what I've referred to in the introduction, uh, what's happening with this third dose of the vaccine for fully vaccinated immunocompromised Detroiters. Talk about how you reached the decision uh, to offer that third shot and what that means, uh, people who are immunocompromised. Who are the folks who would qualify for this third shot? Well, I've, I've been in conversations for the last week or two with Jeff Zients and the White House team on this. Uh, and, and really talking about the fact that, that I think we have to readjust our focus as a country. Uh, for the last uh, few months, we have been uh, trying to convince the vaccine hesitant to get a vaccine. Uh, but uh, what the evidence is now showing is the Moderna Pfizer vaccines were just phenomenal medical achievements. After six months, uh, their uh, strength starts to wane a little bit. Instead of 96% effectiveness, you got 84% effectiveness as you get up to about eight months, which means instead of one in 25 people have been vaccinated who might get a mild case, now we're getting down to about one in, in seven cases. And we're seeing that in different parts of the country. Uh, and, and so uh, you're going to start to see a shift. Those who want to protect their own health, who are doing the right thing, uh, we're going to make sure we give them that full protection. And so they're starting uh, today. The FDA and the CDC approved this. Uh, on Friday of last week, uh, that the immunocompromised can get a third shot if you had uh, the Pfizer or Moderna uh, early this year. And then in September, you'll see this option be rolled out to people over 60, to teachers, to healthcare workers, and ultimately 
to everybody who wants it. If you decide 84% effectiveness isn't good enough, you want 96% effectiveness, uh, we are steadily uh, going to roll out that uh, third option because we know Michigan flu season comes in, in fall and winter, and I want to make sure that those who want to be protected are fully protected. Mm. And we're starting today with the immunocompromised. So, so I wonder how concerned you are about the really intense community spread we're seeing in, in some of the southern states I mentioned in the open and whether that might make its way to Detroit, especially given that our vaccination rates are still so low. I think we're still under 40 percent here uh, in the city of Detroit. Uh, it's great to offer the third shot. And, and look, as soon as I'm eligible, I'll be going to get it. But um, but what about all the folks who still have no vaccination. Uh, are you worried that about what will happen this fall? I, I am. They're going to they're they're going to be in hospitals. They're going to be on ventilators. Uh, people are going to be attending funerals for those who thought the vaccine uh, was a hoax, just as they are today in Florida and Arkansas and Louisiana uh, and and Texas. Uh, and and so we're up to forty two percent now, but we're not nearly. Uh, where we ought to be. But if you look at the media reports of Florida today, if the past history is any indication, November, December, that's going to be Michigan. We're going to have our emergency rooms overrun largely with people under 50 who didn't uh, didn't get vaccinated. Terrible stories about the children's intensive care units uh, uh, overrun. Uh, and, and this vaccinate, you know, the, 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 this Pandemic is a pandemic of, of the unvaccinated, but we got to go a step at a time right now. If you've got uh, a compromised immune system, you're on arthritis medication, you have an organ transplant, you just have trouble beating uh, uh, the different bugs, you can call up today, we'll book you in tomorrow, and just like you went through the TCF Center back in January or February, come back through. If you got a Pfizer before, you get a third Pfizer. If you got Moderna before, You'll get a third Moderna, uh, and you will be uh, fully protected before what I do believe will be a wave of COVID in Michigan uh, in the coming months. Mm. Okay, I want to switch subjects here and talk uh, about the census. Uh, The data that was released last week says Detroit has only 254,000 occupied households. As you point out, DTE reports there are nearly 280,000 residential households that pay electric bills. At minimum, the census somehow failed to count 25,000 occupied houses with running electricity. But talk about how this count, which is much lower than I think any of us anticipated, uh, really hurts the city. And and I guess what the options are at this point to, to try to get it corrected. Yeah, well, we're, we're putting the facts together. And last October, Rashida Tlaib and I uh, did a press conference where a number of census employees came in and told their story uh, about what happened. And Detroit, I think, was undercounted uh, by uh, just complete neglect uh, of the administration. And so this last year was the first time census was done primarily electronically. You could fill out your census form mm-hmm. uh, on the Internet. Uh, and, of course, Detroit and other poorer areas had the lowest response rate. In 1980, I was a census taker. It was my summer job. I knocked doors all summer in Ann Arbor. You send the enumerators door to door into the neighborhoods after April 
that haven't voluntarily returned. And so you would have expected in May, June, July that the Detroits, the Saginaws, the Flints, the Highland Parks would have been flooded with the door knockers Mm -hmm. to make sure the counts were accurate. Instead, in Michigan, the Census Bureau sent the door knockers to outstate Michigan to the upscale suburbs that already had the highest return rate. And then, just as they were starting to move them to Detroit, the Trump administration ended the census a month early. We knew they hadn't got here. The, the, the workers told us we'd just been transferred down to Detroit and we were just getting started and they shut it down. Uh, I, I, I am disappointed that the Biden administration didn't act uh, quickly to correct it. Now, they tell me they had quite a few things to deal with in, in transition and, and hadn't focused on this, but we're putting our documentation together. We're going through census track by census track. And they are claiming vacant units in a number that's absurd. And, and we're going to document that. We're going to prove it. And hopefully they'll find a way to correct it administratively at the Commerce Department. Uh, if not, uh, uh, we'll go to court. But we're going we're gonna to go to court based on facts, not based on complaining. So, so the, the count, if you were to add uh, these uncounted uh, households back in and the uncounted people, Still would represent uh, a drop uh, in in population, and uh, you and I talked eight years ago when uh, you were right. first running uh, for mayor about your idea that look, you should be judged on how the population grows over the time that you're in the mayor's office. I got to ask you now about uh, about that that pledge that, that, that you made to Detroiters and, and what it means today and, and whether it means as much to you today, I guess, as it did back then. It, it sure does. I do think it's the ultimate test. Now, of course, we're measuring 2010 to 2020 on the census, and there's no doubt from 2010 to 2014, a whole lot of people moved out of the city of Detroit. Mm-hmm. I expected us to be down, but you talk to folks in the city uh, who have seen apartment buildings renovated and occupied, who've seen vacant houses on their block fixed up and neighbors move in. And the average Detroiter doesn't believe it. They don't believe the population uh, in this city is declining. Most neighborhoods in this city have seen a doubling of their property values in the last three or four years. Your property values don't go up when more people are leaving than coming in. And so these numbers don't match the experience of Detroiters in the last few years. And uh, so we're going to try to get it accurate. But uh, people are, are, you know, people judge me, of course, two weeks ago. Uh, but I think people are judging me based on their own experience and what they see in their own neighborhoods. So I also want to talk just a, a little about that idea of population growth and why you think it's so important. I mean, I've talked with some demographers who've said that it's really unlikely that Detroit, given the circumstances uh, that, that surround the city demographically, that we would ever see a significant bump in, in, pump, in population, that, that there's not a lot of sources uh, that you could draw from to, to, to grow the population, and that there are other measures uh, of progress as a city that, that – should maybe be more of a focus. I wonder, I wonder how you would address that. So when I was made the CEO of the Detroit Medical Center in 2004, I set out a goal to build patient volumes. And people said to me right then exactly what you're saying. Hmm. There's no source of more patient volumes. Population's going down. People don't want to come into the city. Uh, you don't have a future there. 
uh, and and we took market share from everybody. Uh, and ultimately, I think it is a measure. We're in competition with Chicago and Columbus and, and Cincinnati and Cleveland and in some ways uh, with Atlanta and, uh, uh, and, and cities out west. And so uh, I do think whether people, more people want to move in than move out uh, is, is a test of the city's uh, vibrancy, and, and we're going to continue to uh, compete for that. And so the first thing is we don't want people moving out. And, and what we have done to stabilize the neighborhoods and stop uh, those from moving was a major step. Uh, and then I've met a lot of folks who said, I moved out of the city six years ago, I moved back. But until people have real confidence in the school system, uh, we're not going to see families with children come back. And that's ultimately the what what is the major mover of mm-hmm. population. But I'm confident that the school board and Dr. Vitti are, 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 have that going the right direction. And with the money they've got coming in for the rescue plan, they're going to be able to rebuild those schools physically. And if we do our job on the city side, they do their job on the school side. Uh, I do think the city of Detroit's going to grow. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, I may turn out to be wrong, but most people in neighborhoods are seeing more neighbors, not less. And you and you believe that you've turned that corner. In other words, yeah. stop well, I the, believe. The, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I get, I get the DTE data every uh, month. In the last two or three years, we've seen 2 3% a year growth in occupied households. So I think the last few years, the, the number has been growing. Now, before that, there's no doubt there was significant slippage. Uh, I just don't think they're recognizing... Uh, what's happened lately. I don't think they actually came into the city uh, to see who was behind these doors. Yeah, I'm talking with uh, Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan uh, about the things that are going on in our city with regard to COVID-19 response. We were just talking about the census numbers. We're going to talk a little about uh, infrastructure uh, and policing in a little bit. Uh, if you want to join this conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, what questions do you have for Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan? What do you think of the city's efforts uh, around COVID-19? Uh, and what do you make of the census numbers and the debate over whether population is going to grow or is continuing to slip here in the city of Detroit? Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there, and uh, we'll try to include you in the conversation uh, that way, um, I, I do want to talk about um, I do want to talk about the infrastructure problems that we've we've been experiencing this summer because of these crazy storms. Um, and, and I want to put to you a question that I put out sort of generally last week, which was, you know, I mean, I think everybody is is tired of this and has had enough, uh, and everyone is just uh, you know kind of cowering, waiting for the next storm. To come, but I think the question is 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 a kind of broad one at this point, which is that if we were going to fix this, if we were going to embark on a, a pretty substantial effort to upgrade uh, and and better maintain the infrastructure that's failing, we would need somebody to step forward to say, "Here's what we need to do, and here's how we need to raise the money to do it." And I I said I didn't know who that person would be i don't i don't know who would be able to step forward and say this is going to cost us you know multiple billions of dollars and that means we're going to have to pay more maybe in taxes maybe we're going to have to pay more for water maybe there are some fees and things that that we're going to have to do more of but but somebody who could rally us 
to that cause. And so I guess uh, my question to you is, who do you think that person should be? Well, well, so it's different people in different parts of the country because climate change is affecting folks differently. The folks dealing with the droughts out west are different than folks dealing with hurricanes in Florida, which are different than uh, uh, high winds and, and rainstorms in the Midwest. But we're looking at two things, and, and I think we're all coming to grips with this. We are living uh, in a, an area where the infrastructure was very well built for the climate of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the climate of the 21st century, uh, we are seeing rainstorms, the magnitude of which nobody sized storm sewer systems for. I've been talking to Jerry Norcia, the CEO of DTE, and he's telling me there are twice as many 40-mile-an-hour wind events uh, per year now than there were just five years ago. So their thoughts about what do they do on tree trimming? Do they keep the lines up in the air or do they bury them? Uh, had you had this kind of rain and this kind of uh, uh, windstorms and the like 20, 30 years ago, you'd have built a different infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And this is the conversation we're starting to have. On the water side, uh, we're intensely into a review. How much uh, are the 20,000 low-lying houses on the, along the Detroit River on the east side and, and along the Rouge River on the west side of Detroit, how many of those are we better off just hardening the basements with check valves and sump pumps versus having to put in uh, separate water and, and sewer systems, which would involve tearing up a lot of our infrastructure? It's going to be a combination of some areas where we probably have to separate and some areas where, where we're going to have to uh, to, to modify basements. And, and these are the conversations that we're going to have together. But I'd say in Michigan, uh, it is a stormwater issue and it is an electricity uh, wind issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, other parts of the country, uh, it's other things. But, but I, there will be a definitely an intense effort between us and DTE uh, to, to deal with the climate change issues here in, in Detroit, and I'm sure uh, the rest of Michigan. So, so, so uh, former head of the Great Lakes Water Authority, Sue McCormick, said about a month ago to me that she thought the price tag for this was somewhere around $17 billion. Now, I had never heard that number before, but but let's say it's half that. Let's say, uh, you know, it's, it's $8.5 billion. Do you think that there is a leader in this region who could rally us to raise that kind of money to fix this? I don't think it is an eight and a half billion dollar solution. If you know what she's talking about is if you tore up every water and sewer line in the entire city and the inner ring of suburbs and you put down separate systems, that would be the price tag. But not every area is having basement flooding. Uh it is the areas where that are low lying where the stormwater is running down, overwhelming the storm drains and pushing the sewage back up into basements. And so Gary Brown is, is leading an effort on our side. It'll be expensive, but I think we can do it in a, in a much smarter way mm-hmm. to say these are the areas vulnerable uh, to the flooding, and this is how we uh, address those areas. And, yes, we are going to step forward. There's federal infrastructure money. There's state infrastructure money. Uh, there's capital money at, at GLIWA and at DWSD. Uh, and, I, you know, rates may go up some. Uh, but we have to recognize the reality that five and six inch rainstorms are no longer once in 500 year events. And we need to size our system uh, to, to face that reality. Mm. 
I know you have to go, uh, Mr. Mayor, but before you do, I do want to talk to you about crime and uh, the, the new police chief in the city. Uh, there was a headline in late July uh, after a weekend where it said 13 people were shot and two people killed in seven separate shootings overnight in, in the city. Uh, this remains a really uh, a violent city, and you know we've been struggling with that for a really long time. But you're the mayor, and I think it's fair always to ask uh, what role you think your leadership plays in turning those numbers around. But then I also want you to talk a little about uh, Interim Chief James White and the search for a permanent uh, replacement for James Craig. Uh, well, the... Um Board of Police Commissioners is required by charter to send me a list. They sent me that list last week. Uh, I've interviewed the candidates on the list, uh, and we'll have a final selection uh, in the next week. And and I don't think it'll be a surprise uh, to anybody where uh, we go. But Mm -hmm. uh, as as everybody talked about at the press conference Governor Whitmer had yesterday, uh, the the violence is soaring everywhere in the country, and we know why. You've got a lot of anger pent up uh, in frustration with COVID, but you have the court system shut down. And we are literally backed up 2,500 uh, felony gun cases in 36 district court and probably double that at the circuit court. And so the cases, people have been arrested uh, a year ago, and they may not have a case even scheduled for another six months. And so we're having great conversations with Warren Evans, with prosecutor worthy with the judges of the the courts uh, and ultimately will bring in uh, the defense bar as well, that we have got to clear out this backlog so that there is a meaning, uh, meaningful consequence uh, uh, for doing this. And I've never seen the level of professionalism I'm seeing right now. People are sitting down saying, okay, uh, this is a magnitude of a backlog we've never dealt with. We're all going to have to pitch in together. We're not going to blame anybody. Uh, but you just look at the volume of what's going to land on the prosecutor's staff. Uh, it's going to be enormous. Uh, they don't have enough court clerks uh, to staff the courtrooms that we're going to need. These are things we're working through, but we're going to work through them. We're going to solve them, and uh, we're going to get this under control. Okay, uh, Mayor Mike Duggan, always great to have you here on uh, the program. I do hope that we will get to talk to you again before the November election when you will square off against uh, Anthony Adams. But thanks very much for talking with us today. Look forward to it, Stephen. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we are going to change the subject when we get back. We're going to talk about the really terrifying situation in Afghanistan, the U.S. withdrawal, and what comes next for a country that we have waged war in for 20 years. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.